The word of the Lord from Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. That just makes sense. If you're healthy, strong, and sound, then you're off doing this or that, working or playing or doing whatever. It's when you're sick or weak or injured that you've got to go see the doctor. And with maybe an obvious exception or two, doctors become doctors in order to help people, to help make right what is wrong and prevent things from getting worse. I don't know of many doctors who hope to go through life saying to everybody, I'm completely useless because you're as healthy as a horse. I suppose that there are two sorts of people that might be especially trying to physicians. One is the one who believes that he's sick or injured when he's really quite healthy. This can be a tricky one because there is something wrong, but it's not at all what the patient thinks. Unless, of course, a patient goes to the doctor and actually says, Doctor, what's wrong with me is that I'm a hypochondriac, which I think is either really easy to treat or really, really difficult. The other sort of difficult patient is the one who denies that he's sick, even when it's obvious that there is something terribly wrong. It may be because the individual actually believes he is fit as a fiddle, or it may be because he's so terrified of the ramifications of the illness that he refuses to acknowledge what is actually going on. It may be that his pride prevents him from admitting his weakness, so he hopes that nobody notices, say, the fever, the gasping for air, or the dangling limb. It may be that he's just terrified of doctors. At any rate, whatever the state of the patient, this holds true. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. The sick are pretty easy to spot in our gospel reading. In this case, we're not talking about physical ailments. It's not the blind, the deaf, the lame, and the lepers who are gathering at this moment around Jesus. It's also not about societal illness, if you will. Although Jesus is surrounded by outcasts like tax collectors and other notorious sinners, the cure for their ills is not to make them respectable enough to be able to walk into a store without mothers gasping, grabbing their children, and leaving upon their arrival. The sick are those who know that there's something wrong with them before God. 
call it a defect or disease of the soul, if you like. They've got an injured conscience. They know they're not holy. And so they know they're not right with God. The fact that other people disapprove of them might help them reach the conclusion faster than, say, the upright, pious folks like the Pharisees. But the problem is not that the Pharisees find fault with them. The problem is that God finds fault with them. And since they can't find a cure for their soul sickness on their own, they have come to Jesus, the great physician, for the cure. If the tax collectors and sinners are the sick, then the Pharisees must be the ones who are well? Well, sort of. The word there for well actually means strong, which might help us out a little bit. The Pharisees are like those who have a terrible disease, like a cancer just begun. They still appear and perhaps feel healthy and strong on the outside, even if they're failing on the inside. They might not know how perilous is their situation. They might believe that it's just a little indigestion that will pass if they just hold on. Or they might sense that it's something worse, but be too proud to admit it. At any rate, here is Jesus, the great physician who literally has made the blind see and the deaf hear. And the Pharisees disagree with his methods of of healing and cleansing people simply by speaking and at absolutely no charge. When it comes to being righteous before God, the Pharisees are all about self-help, so they have no need for Jesus. In fact, they take offense at him, asking his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Their offense is a little bit strange. I mean... If you don't think you're sick, then I understand why you wouldn't see the need to see a doctor yourself. But why would you take offense at sick people who seek medical care or at a doctor who helps those who are in need? Why are the Pharisees offended that Jesus eats with tax collectors and sinners? Yeah, I understand it's not the best crowd. Tax collectors are notorious because Rome sells the right to collect taxes. So you pay for the franchise and you make your money back by gouging everybody along the way. So the seventh commandment gets stomped into the dust on a regular basis. The sinners category here apparently includes the more obviously iniquitous vocations in life, like, say, prostitution. But it's still puzzling. It's not like Jesus is gathering the group together to improve the reputation and make them a political juggernaut so people look more fondly on escorts and revenue men. He's teaching them about repentance and the forgiveness of sins so that they're right with God and so that they stop doing iniquitous things. Even though the Pharisees don't agree with Jesus, doesn't a drop in prostitution and thievery make the world better? Part of it might be jealousy of Jesus or political gamesmanship that they don't want him to get credit for anything. But I wonder if it might be something else. If we want to simplify religious studies down to a bare minimum, we can say that there really are only two religions in the world. There is a religion of law and a religion of gospel. 
The religion of law teaches that you and I earn God's favor by our works. The identity of God might differ from belief system to belief system, and the works will vary as well from the work of doing nice things for your neighbor, or the work of learning secret knowledge, or the work of emptying your mind to achieve higher consciousness, or the work of throwing a virgin into a volcano. In general, though, nearly every religion in the world today is a variation of the religion of law. You earn God's favor by your works. This is true, in fact, of every religion except one, namely Christianity. Christianity is the sole religion of gospel, the one that teaches that God's favor is yours and you are saved from sin because he has done all the work to save you. I ran this past a very bright fellow one time who objected by saying that it simply wasn't true because anyone could invent another religion of gospel besides Christianity at any time. And yet, nobody has. And nobody does. Which brings me back to the Pharisees. They are obviously a religion of law. Keep the rules, and God will be pleased with you, and then you will go to heaven. The Pharisees aren't just legalists, but they become scolds. They can't rejoice in a blind man getting his sight without doing any work to earn it because, well, he hasn't done any work to earn it. Likewise, they can't rejoice in tax collectors and prostitutes turning from their wicked ways and being forgiven because they haven't had to do the work of paying for their sins. So Jesus tells them to learn the meaning of I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Rather than expect these sinners to earn their righteousness by their sacrifices of good works, they should be merciful and rejoice in their repentance and forgiveness. Why? Because that reflects true religion, God's action of saving people by His mercy, by His becoming flesh and being the sacrifice for their sin, so that he might be merciful to them. But as long as the Pharisees are unmerciful towards these sinners, they will reject the idea of God being merciful to them. And as long as they reject the idea of God being merciful to them, they will be like a leper standing before a doctor and rejecting medical treatment because he's sure he's totally healthy. In fact, They are sinners standing in front of the Holy Son of God in the flesh and rejecting His mercy because they're sure that they are totally righteous, as holy as He is. A couple of thoughts then on this little reading from Matthew. First off, the news these days is full of all sorts of stories about the culture wars, which broadly fit under the umbrella of social justice for one group or another. You might regard it as a moral issue or a philosophical one, and it certainly is both. But culture wars are also religious wars, where someone has established a truth that must be believed, which means they've established a God that must be served. If you protest against that truth and that God, you are to be canceled, excommunicated from society. There is no mercy in such a religion, There is only the penance of earning your way back by apologizing, embracing the false truth, and promoting it. 
has completely a religion of law. I don't know how long this present frenzy will last. It may have hit its peak because it has launched a heavy assault on a religion dear to Americans. Not Christianity, but sports. And I think that there will be a backlash. What I do know is this. The more frenzied such a religion of law becomes, the more it will oppose a religion that teaches that God is merciful. It will oppose Christianity on the basis of our supposedly narrow-minded laws and way of life. But in the end, the attack is always on God's mercy and grace in Christ. The other thing I know is that the more frenzied such a religion of law becomes, the brighter will shine the church that remains faithful to the message of God's mercy in Christ. The more people realize that man-made works in service to a fake God do nothing to appease their conscience, the more they will welcome the news that God desires to be merciful because he has made the sacrifice to save them. The other thought is this. Don't be a knucklehead. No one likes to admit that they're sick probably because every sickness is a reminder of weakness and mortality. Likewise, no one likes to admit that they're sinful. It's tough enough to apologize to another sinner, and it's tempting to mouth the confession at the start of the service while you're thinking about anything but how you are in fact sinful and unclean. Don't be a knucklehead. Live by faith. Faith that the Bible is right when it says that you're sinful, even when you want to deny it. And faith that clings to the truth that Christ has died for your sins. In other words, don't lie to the great physician or avoid him because he's already borne your sins and your infirmities to the cross. Be honest. Confess your sins and your infirmities to him. He desires to be gracious and merciful because he's already made the sacrifice. When he has a meal with sinners, he hosts the table to give you his body and blood. He has not come to call the self-righteous, but to save sinners. He has come to save you so that you might be clothed in his life and his righteousness both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.